Stand to your feet. We're going to read Luke chapter 2. Do you remember what time I was supposed to be done? I think I do. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them, Into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. And the Lord made known to us. And when they went with haste, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we believe it has the power to change us. You promised that if we that if we look into it, that you renew our minds, you change the way we think. So we pray in our time together today, as we do just that, you would change our minds about things today, Lord. You'd make us more like Christ. And you'd help us to impact our community even more for the gospel. We thank you for this opportunity. We give you all the glory for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Bethlehem is a five to six miles south of Jerusalem. And Mary and Joseph would have had to travel about 90 miles to get there from Nazareth. Now, one of the issues that I need you to understand up front is that we need to be very careful superimposing our culture today on what happened back then. Because there's no man in his right mind today that would take his pregnant wife and make her walk 90 miles anywhere. Somebody say amen. Amen. But the Bible tells us it's Caesar at the time had decreed a census of all people. Now, There's some historical debate on when it actually happened and how it happened and and the timing and all those things. But nonetheless, whatever the Caesar had decreed at the time, Joseph felt like he had to move from where he was with his wife and go to Bethlehem. Now, if you're not careful, you'll be questioning why he went to Bethlehem. Because after all, the census people come to us. I can fill out the census online. But the Bible says that Joseph picked up him and his betrothed wife, who is pregnant, by a miracle, and and walked the 90 miles to Bethlehem. Now, there's another traditionally um, propagated view of what happens here, that they go to an inn, like the Motel 6, And when they get there, there's an angry innkeeper that will not let them stay. And I want to let you know that's not how it happened. 
More than likely what happened is that Joseph decided he was going to go to Bethlehem to be counted. And that when he got there, he would probably try to find some far off distant relative to stay with. So it might have been his great great granddad's cousin's son. But because they don't have a cell phone, they don't have mail, they don't have any of the modern day trappings, and I did just say mail. There was no way that they could announce their coming. There's no way that they were going to, Mary and Joseph were going to send word ahead, hey, we're making a 90 mile trek, could you have some hot cocoa and beef stew ready for us? So they take off walking. You can imagine when they get there that they were tired. Mary had to be exhausted. It was not an easy trek. They get there, and Joseph is trying to figure out where they're going to stay. So he goes to where he thinks there may be a distant relative. They get there only to find out more than likely somebody beat him to the punch. Because it would have been very common back then for people to have rooms in their house that they would let people stay in. Now, I want to make sure you understand this is not the tradition nowadays. If you show up to my house unannounced and ask to stay in one of my rooms, I'm probably going to say, you ain't Jesus. And I need to have some preparation time. But it was very common back then to let people come and go. And, and, if, and if a traveler came in, eh, sure, you can stay here. The problem was, is that more than likely, somebody else had already gotten into the guest room. And so Mary and Joseph show up. Some translations of the Bible say, say the end, which is, which is translated in a weird way for us. And we think of like a motel and it just wasn't that way. It was probably a house with an extra, with a room that was empty that they could stay in. So there wasn't any room traditional room for them to stay in. So instead of being mean, they were kind enough to open up another untraditional space for them to stay. So they said, hey, listen, we don't have the typical room or bedding for you to stay in in the house, but, but we do have some space for you. And, and typically back then, animals were a little more intimate to life than they are now. They would have traditionally possibly had animals in the downstairs. They might have had animals uh, in, a, in, a, in a cave next to... They, they, they were, it was a more intimate relationship with the animals that sustained them. So instead of kicking them out on the street, they allowed them to come in and, le- and at least stay in that area. And so they go in and they, and they give them the space where the animals are. Now, I travel a decent amount and in other parts of the world that I go to, it is not uncommon to see animals in places where you wouldn't traditionally see them here. Amen? And so I've seen, I've seen cows walking in churches. I've seen chickens in houses. I've seen, I've seen and you're like, well, that, I mean, that happens at our place. <laughs> Maybe. So I want, to, I want you to wipe your mind of the idea that Mary and Joseph showed up to this place, everybody was mean to them, and the poor little baby Jesus didn't have any place to go. They came to a census in a town that was packed, didn't make reservations, didn't use hotels.com, didn't do... They were young. When they showed up, there wasn't enough room, but the people at the house said, hey, you know what? You're still welcome. You're still welcome. And so they let them stay there. 
I don't know how much time went by, but Mary's water broke at some point in time and they didn't change rooms. It was the labor and delivery room. And so they have the baby Jesus right there where the animals stay. And God Almighty uses that as a sign to get other people to come to them. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And so this paints the story for where we're at. Jesus comes to a couple teenagers in a borrowed room that might have even had animals in it at the time. And he uses it as a sign for everybody. Now, now there, there's something that we have to look at here. Jesus, God could have snapped his fingers and Jesus been born in the biggest palace on the planet. He could have snapped his fingers and have every king and queen on the planet line up to give him glory when he, when, when he, when he breaches the birth canal, which would have been weird, but he could have done it. He could have had a procession of gifts from all the dignitaries of the earth. But he didn't. He came to teenagers who were in who were in an extra room where the animals were. And to 99% of the world, it went unnoticed. Nobody had an idea it happened. The people that were sharing the that they shared the house with didn't know the ramifications. Nobody in the story understood the ramifications, but God Almighty put on the clothes of flesh and came down that day. You know what I figured out? I figured out that when God came, he didn't need anybody else's glory. He just brought his own. Isn't that remarkable? God didn't need anybody else's glory. He just brought his own with him. He didn't need kings to come and make visits. He didn't, he didn't need, he didn't need dignity. He didn't need anything. I'll, I'll send Jesus I'll send God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. He'll come in a manger and I'll bring enough glory to declare he's the king of kings. So the same time Mary's giving birth, some shepherds out in the field. The Bible says tending their flocks by night. An angel appears in front of them and we know Again, like we said last week, we know this is an unbelievable occurrence because it says the shepherds were scared to death. The first thing the angel says is like, hey, chill out. Chill out, bro. Take a chill pill. We're here to bring you good news. And the the shepherds, I kind of think it was like normal life. Like like it was a night, so they're probably taking shifts. You know how shift works. You know how shift work works. One guy works, everybody else sleeps. So the shepherds, one guy's working, everybody else is sleeping. Angel of the Lord drops down out of heaven. I got I to gotta think it made a little bit of a noise. Jimmy's sitting over there watching the sheep. Poof, angel pops out. Jimmy's like, whoa. He's shaking everybody, backing up. Like, hey, hey, hey. And the angel says, hey, chill out, guys. I've come to bring you good news. And here are these shepherds. In in some, some sense, they're at the end of the socioeconomic chain. 
They're not the guys that everybody's looking to. They're not the guys who you think what God would pick to reveal that Jesus has just been born. But the angel comes to the shepherds. And he says, I'm bringing you good news. If you go into Bethlehem, you'll find, an angel, you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. He's king of kings and lord of lords. God has come to earth. Can you imagine the shepherds getting to see this for the first time? Can you imagine what they were thinking? Can you imagine the fear wrapped up in them when the angel hit the ground in front of them? It would have been unbelievable. So when God came to earth, he brought his own glory with him. I, I want to I wanna pose to you this. Let, let me say it like this. When God chose to bring Jesus into the world, he never got anyone else's opinion about how it should happen. Isn't that awesome? Because if he'd asked me, I would have been like, I mean, I'm not sure I'd have done it that way. Here's how it applies to our life. Watch this. How many times has God asked us to do something and we look for the approval of man to make sure it's okay? God brings Jesus to earth. He said, I don't need anyone else's glory. I'll bring my own with it. And yet when he calls us, we look for, every, we look for the glory before we do it. We need the approval of man. You know what? I'm so glad that Facebook wasn't on the planet when Jesus was born. I'm so glad Instagram wasn't on the planet when Jesus was born. You could, uh, OMG, you couldn't have changed out the straw? What happens is God calls us to do a great thing and then we look for man's approval to complete it. That's the society we live in. Lord, I know you want me to do this, but I don't, nobody else thinks this is a good idea. Everybody, all my friends. If I post a picture of this, nobody's going to like it. Man, I, don't, I get on Instagram. If I get 14 likes, I'm like, hey, I'm famous. I seem to have trouble cresting the 400 mark, which I think is, is like a, a rocket ship of stardom. And my kids are looking at me like, Dad, nobody knows you. <laughs> I'm like, 400 people know me. And they're like, you can have more than that at church on the weekend. I'm like, that's not the point. They're like, not even everybody at your church follows you. I'm like, that's not the point. Well, people make me feel better. But here's the issue. We don't need people's glory to do what God told us to do. Because Jesus didn't need people's glory to do what God told him to do. And when God came to earth, he didn't require the approval of any man to do it. He came to the wrong people at the wrong time, in the wrong circumstance, in the wrong house. Everything, if we would have plotted it out, everything that happened was wrong at the time. The wrong people showed up, the wrong timing. Everything was wrong. And God said, I don't need anybody else's approval. I'll bring my own glory. Pow. 99% of the world had no idea it was happening. And then a couple shepherds out in the field went, whoa, God really knows how to throw a party. And I want to challenge you this morning, this Christmas season. God is calling you to do something. And are you waiting on somebody's approval to make it happen? Are you just sitting around waiting, waiting on, because here's the thing. When I wait on the approval of man, I, I put the approval of God on pause. And am I waiting on your glory or his? Because I find out that God is way more willing to bless me when I just follow him than when I put it up to the approval of man. 
And I can put God on pause in a heartbeat waiting on somebody else to give their stamp of approval. Well, God, I'm not sure all my friends are going to like this. I'm not sure it's going to be popular. I'm not, I'm not sure, Lord. I'm not sure. Like I put, I put a pouty face on Facebook and nobody liked it. He brought his own glory with him and he will give you his glory. John 5, 41, Jesus said, I do not receive glory from people. Jesus wasn't walking around waiting on people to affirm him. Come on. What are you relying on right now to confirm that you are who you are? Do you live off the approval of others? Do you need stuff to make you feel worth it? Are you dependent on relationships for your value? Paul would later write to the Galatians in chapter 1 verse 10 and he'd say, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? For am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. Here's what you have to understand. The most free you will ever be is when your worth comes from the one who created you. The most free you, I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what your status is. I don't care how many Facebook friends you have or Instagram or Twitter. I don't care. The most free you will be is when you find your approval in the one who made you. Because can I let you in on a little secret? Nobody will ever approve of you all the time. Mm, I've been married long enough. (laughs) Nobody will ever approve of you all the time. But the Bible says that you are joint heirs with Christ, that you are, you've been adopted into the family by the, by the shed blood of Jesus, that, that he came to earth and died for you so that his approval could lay on you. It says when, the, when God looks down at you, he doesn't even see you. He sees the righteousness of Christ. So the issue is not how many people approve of what you do, but has God put his glory on what you do? And he didn't need anybody else's input. If I want to bring him in in a manger, I'll bring him in in a manger. And I'll throw a huge angelic party for it. Because I don't need the approval of kings. Because if Jesus came in starting out with the approval of kings, then his whole ministry would have been dependent on it. Mm. Think about how you start. If you start out needing the approval of everybody, then you'll be dependent on it for the existence. But God came in and said, I don't even, I don't need anybody's approval. If I'm going to save people, I'm going to save people. If I'm going to bring Emmanuel God with us in the middle of, in, in the middle of where the animals are kept, I'll do it. Because he's got enough glory on his own. And your calling is good enough on its own. And there'll be seasons in your life where everybody's trying to tell you to do something else. But God's called you to something that you can't walk away from. And if you're dependent on people's approval, you'll never finish what he called you to do. He'll bring the glory that you need. Just get it from him. Amen? Get your confidence from him. Get your self-esteem from him. It's not, because, it's not because everybody's approving of you. It's because I'm a child of God. It's all the approval I need. So he comes and brings his own glory. And then you know, what I, you know what I love about this? Mary and Joseph were poor. Mary and Joseph were young. Mary and Joseph were not people of means. And then they come into Bethlehem... And they find out that there's not a place for them. 
and then and then they they end up having a baby and putting it in a manger, and then and then God of all people decides to reveal the whole thing to a bunch of shepherds. Decides to reveal the whole thing to a bunch of shepherds. I like to say it this way: common people got the front row. Common people got the front row. Is, is there any time in your life where you wish you could afford tickets down front? We just uh, we just looked up last night. I asked my, my wife, have you ever been to the Kennedy Center? I've never been to the Kennedy Center. And, and, and we were talking about going to the Kennedy Center. And she said, man, tickets are like 100 bucks." And I was like, what's that on the stage? $100. She said, no, no, no. Down front are $700. Well, I'm with some common people today. Everybody's like, oh. Yeah, don't go. Give it to the church. That's your sacrifice. No, no, listen, listen. Don't misinterpret. If you can afford 700 bucks to go to the Kennedy Center, blessings to you. Do I think it's dumb? Maybe. But I think, but no, 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 no. If you want to go, that's fine. Don't, don't misinterpret this. But God came to the cheap seats. God came to the cheap seats. The people he decided to reveal himself to first didn't have front row tickets. They didn't have status in community. The common people got the front row. And here's what we have to combat as people. Because the bigger the crowd, the more exclusive people get. I'll explain it to you. It's like the preacher who used to pastor 40 people, now there's a thousand and he can't talk to anybody anymore. It's like the business owner who used to have two employees, but now that he's got 50, he can't walk down and talk to anybody anymore. The bigger it gets, the more exclusive we tend to be. Amen? It's like the person that wrote the book, the person that writes the first book will sign every copy. When you sell a million copies, you're like, I got 10 minutes. Not that your life has changed, but you've become more exclusive. It happens in churches and it happens in scripture. And the disciples tried to make it happen to Jesus. He said, oh, no, 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 no. Watch the disciples. Watch this. Luke chapter 18, verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and heard a crowd going by. He inquired, what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Look at the, look at the picture. There's crowds starting to follow Jesus. And now they're trying to maintain a certain air about the whole thing. We don't want any blind beggars sitting down by the road yelling out stuff at Jesus. After all, they forgot that he came to shepherds. They forgot that he was the one that would touch the leper. They forgot. And so when they get to him, here's a blind man sitting beside the road saying, what's all the commotion? And they say, hey, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he starts shouting, son of David, have mercy on me. And they go, shh. You don't get to have the front seat. We can't afford to have Jesus stop and heal you. We can't afford you to make a ruckus. We can't afford for your, for, your, for your little problem of blindness to interrupt the Savior. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, that's not the way you remember. I came 
through teenagers with nothing, and, I, and God revealed to shepherds before he did anybody else. Don't cause the blind man not to see me. Don't cause the blind man not to have interaction with me. But the, more, the bigger we get, the more exclusive we get. It always happens. We got to control the crowds because after all, they're dirty. The disciples tried to do it with a bunch of kids. Come on, let's be honest. Kids are annoying. You got a big ministry. Last thing you want is a bunch of knuckle-headed kids running up and taking up all your time. I got a sermon to preach. I can't worry about your kid. Some of you are like, amen, brother. I like the way that sounds. I love the way that sounds. We're worrying about it. Kids are dirty. Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. Come on, just bless them. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. He said the common people get the front row here. The common people get the front row here. I didn't come to minister to the healthy. I came to minister to the sick. I didn't come to people who needed servants. I came to people to show them how they could be a servant. And he's saying the common people get the front row here and it doesn't cost anymore. It's like getting the front row Kennedy Center ticket for nothing. And so every time when the crowds got bigger and the disciples tried to go, whoa, whoa, we need to control it, we need to control it, we need to control it. Jesus said, don't control it, let them come. Don't control it, let them come to me. When the crowd was so big that everybody was pressing in against him and then the woman with the issue of blood comes up and touches the hem of his garment, the Bible says, and is healed, he stopped the whole show and he went, whoa, whoa, who touched me? And the disciples were like, are you crazy? Everybody's touching you. Somebody touched me. And he paused the whole thing for the common. He paused the whole thing for the common. And as a church, we can't get our eyes off of normal people. You can't be enamored by people that are too great, and you can't be disgusted by people that are too low. I was going to wait on that. You cannot be enamored by the superstar, and you can't be disgusted by the blind beggar. It is not in the DNA of Jesus to do either. He could sit with a king, he could sit with a Pharisee, and he, could, and he could touch a guy with leprosy. It didn't matter to him. He came to serve. So I told my son, I, I tell him all the time, listen, Carter, my dad used to tell me, you can't be a one-trick pony, son. I was like, I don't even know what that means. I haven't been around many ponies, and I've never been around a pony who could do a trick. I don't, I don't know. I think I know what it means. You can't only operate in one environment. Because God said, go into all the world and make disciples of only your economic socio status. No, he said of all people. And Jesus said, if you're a Pharisee, I'll sit down with you. And if you're a beggar, I'll sit down with you. And by the way, I'm going to shock you all. And I'm going to call tax collectors and sinners to follow me. So the common people get the front row. So as a church, we got to remember that. You can't be too enamored and you can't be too disgusted. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. All right, the last thing. I'm doing so good on time management this morning. I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> and when they went, I'm not even going to And when they went away, 
with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. This is shepherds. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Oh, man, that's so good. You know what I think our problem is in the United States? We're too smart. We're too smart. Here's what I think I figured out. The more common, the less questions. Can I unwrap that for you a little bit? The more common, the less questions. You know what? You know what I wish when it came to religion? I wish that Google didn't exist. Because we're constantly trying to figure out if what God is doing in our lives makes sense through the internet. Come on, don't act like you ain't never questioned it and then went to Google. If Jesus was born in our society, you would Google, could a boy be born of a virgin? And when Google said no, you'd write it off. How do I know this? Because we've self-diagnosed ourselves for the last 10 years. We take a picture of it, put it on Facebook, and then when some other person that doesn't know what they're doing comes back and says, yeah, you're going to die, we go, ah! You got a wart, slow down! I got a rash, my kids got a rash, I googled it, and and, and now they're going to die. It's not God. Do you know the beautiful thing about the shepherd's work? I don't hear any questions. I don't hear any questions. Now, some of you are going to go, like, well, if I don't, you're telling me I can't question God? No, I'm just saying, God is big enough to answer all your questions if he wants to. But faith is not having all your questions answered. Hmm. We can't be people of faith if if we then turn around to God and say, I'll trust you if you answer all my questions. That's not faith. If God plots it out before me exactly how it's going to happen, I don't have to have any faith. The shepherds were visited by angels in the middle of the night. Might raise a few questions. Maybe. They then walk into Bethlehem and find a baby lying in a manger, just like the angel said. I don't know, may raise a few questions. But the Bible says they asked none. They just went out and told everybody. You know what I think the biggest detriment to the gospel going forward in the, in the century that we live in, in the decade we're getting ready to start, is that the church asked too many questions. We're the most intelligent resource church on the planet and all it has produced is more questions about if God's right or not. If you go back 2,000 years ago, the angels just went, the the, the shepherds went, dude, I don't know about you, but I saw an angel. You can call it heartburn if you want. I saw an angel. I'm not going to Google it. I'm not going to ask any questions. I know what I saw. When I saw it, I know I went to the manger and the baby was there. So when I leave, I'm just telling everybody. I don't have to know why. I don't have to know how. I just know it happened. And the Bible says when they walked out and stopped asking questions and just told people, everybody was amazed. You know what I've never been amazed by? Somebody that questioned everything. 
At some point in time, I just said, just shut up. Shut up. Another question? But that's our society now. God, why? God, why? God, why? God, why? God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? God, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. Because we're so used to being able to type anything into the computer and get an instant definition immediately. We're so used to be able to type any problem into a computer and get an instant result. The issue is, is if you look at Google and you see the responses to your question, there's 10 million of them. And the problem with us is that God's got one. And we don't like situations without options. So we question and we question and we question, God, why, God, why, God, why, God, why, God, why? And all I know is the, is the shepherds went out and said, hey, man, that's what we saw. There's a portion of scripture. John chapter 9, verse 24. There was a man that was born blind and was healed. And now the religious leaders are calling him in front of them. Asking him how it happened. Who did this to you? Can you imagine Everybody knew that God was blind and now he's healed. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Somebody's going to tell us how this happened. We're not even happy for you. Says so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, they're talking about Jesus. We know Jesus is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know. That though I was blind, I now see. And I ain't going to ask any questions about that. I ain't going to ask any questions about that. I'm not going to ask any questions about how he did the miracle or why he did the miracle. All I'm going to do is say, hey, you figure it out. All I know is he did the miracle. I was once blind and now I'm not. And the shepherds walked out and said, there was angels and a baby. I don't know how it happened, but I'm just telling you what happened. And the Bible says everybody was amazed. Look at the woman at the well with Jesus. Jesus tells her all kinds of stuff about herself. The Bible says she walks into town and doesn't ask any questions. She walks into town and says, hey, come out and see a man who told me everything about myself. How did he do it? I don't know. Why did he do it? I don't know. Just come out and see. And the Bible says the whole town came out to see him. I'm not telling you not to ask questions, but your faith can't be based on getting answers. Because every miraculous thing in the Bible, you could question it to death. Every miraculous thing that God is going to do in your life, you could question it to death. But nobody has ever been won over by a question. People are won over by testimonies. People are not won over by doubt. They're won over by testimonies. Amen. And so when you walk into some place, you say, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know is I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And that amazing grace that touched me can touch you. Don't ask me how it works. I don't know how it works. I don't know why he came to a virgin. I don't know why I was born in a manger. I don't know all that stuff. But all I know is that I was lost one day, and now I'm found. That I was broken and died, but now he's healed me and saved me. And that's all I know. And you can question it until Jesus comes back. But you ain't going to get no answers from me. The Bible says the shepherds went out and just told people what happened. And everybody was wondering. Stand to your feet. Let's pray this way.
I want to give you a little relief during the Christmas season. Your job is not to figure him out. Your job is not to figure God out. <laughs> I got to be so careful. Why don't we ask the same questions about Santa Claus? No, 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 no. You can't ask any question about Santa Claus. He's just real. Emmanuel, God with us, came to earth. And you'll never know the whole story. All he's asking you to do is tell it. He's not asking you to be an expert in it. He's just asking you to tell it. He's not asking you to answer every question. He's just asking you to tell it. And I want to give you a little relief. You don't have to understand God fully to, to follow him. You don't have to have the whole story to follow him. All you need to know is enough to put your faith in it today. Amen? Because the Bible says that he is faithful and just. That he will never leave you or forsake you. And the only way that you can test that out is not through questions, but through following. There's no question that will get you to that point. But faith will get you there. And so I want to ask you to do that this morning. Stop trying to question your way into heaven and start saying, Lord, I don't understand it, but I trust you. I don't understand how it happened, but I'm going to trust you. I don't understand what is going on, but I'm going to believe by faith this morning that you are who you say you are and that you are real and doing things in me that I don't understand today. Can we pray that way? Come on all across the building. Father, we thank you. Lord, we choose to believe today what we have seen, what we have heard, your goodness in the earth, your goodness to us, God. We choose to believe it today. And Lord, you've given us one job to go out and tell. And so Lord, we just pray that you give us the power to go out and tell what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced, your goodness in our lives. We thank you that you came to people like us, the common people. We thank you, God, that you approve. We thank you, God, that you put a calling on our lives. And we thank you, God, for the confidence that you will always be with us. And we give you honor and glory for today. Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church, could you give him honor and praise one more time? He's good.